darling, with the young ones And the young ones shouldn't be afraid While the flame is strong Cause we may not be the young ones Very long Tomorrow Why wait until tomorrow Cause tomorrow Hey everybody and happy Thanksgiving This is Chris and uh, it is time for episode 16 of the Young Animal Gatherum We're in the second half of the second season and uh really feels like we're just uh, lumbering toward that finish line. we got four books to discuss today, the first of which is Shade the Changing Woman, number four. That originally aired on June 10th, 2018. Then we have Eternity Girl, number four, and that one originally aired on June 17th, 2018. Cave Carson as an Interstellar Eye, originally aired on June 24th, 2018. Then we wrap it all up with Mother Panic Gotham AD, number four. That one originally aired on July 1st. 2018. We are in the home stretch here. We've got two more episodes to go. Uh, the final of which will be a little bit longer than uh, than usual. It's got uh, some extra goodies at the end. Um, hope you're enjoying this and hope you stick around to uh, hear the rest of it. See ya. Once in every to the Young Animal segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one Young Animal book to read for you today. Which one is that? Well, it's the first one of the second half of the second (laughs) season of Young Animal. Uh, We've got Shade the Changing Woman number four. It's called Living Doll. Written by Cecil Castellucci with art by Molly Zarcone, Andy Parks, and Kelly Fitzpatrick. Lettering by Seda Tamafante. So it starts out, Rack and Shade are in the madness and notice that a hole has been ripped in it. Which is new, mm-hmm. a new thing, and yeah. Rack's very annoyed by this. Uh, after a bunch of brief flashbacks, Shade realizes that the Cray are on their way. Uh, she's scared, however, without her heart, she doesn't care, which is a strange emotion to have. Mm-hmm. She then tells Rack to go F himself and leaves the madness zone, and it's pretty much it for Rack, it seems like, to be honest <laughs> it's, with you. It's written off written uh, we, get, we get an adorable definition of insanity riff here as she returns to the real world. There's kind of a whole captioning going on. Uh, and she recounts her regrets and hopes there's enough time to at least say goodbye. We shift scenes to join Teacup, who's visiting with Seema's mother. Seema was that mean girl who was murdered by the punk last issue, the punk who is actually... Infused with a Megan, Megan yeah. that's the thing. Uh, Teacup learns that Seema was a painter and had a very familiar style. She's got those weird madness paisleys in her painting. So River mm-hmm. texts her, but she ignores the guy. Yeah, and then we jump over to Join River, who is uh, in his DCHE outfit, that uh, whatever the alien hunting gear yes, he was wearing there. That's right. And he's and he's hanging with his boyf, and the boyf tells him not to sweat it. The whole teacup not replying thing, because people tend to grow apart. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, we get a brief bit with Lepuck, who looks to have just been handed a Green Lantern costume by Kilowog. And he is named the Green Lantern of Sector wherever the hell Meta is. Where Meta is. Although he seems even here, he's like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. You know, <laughs> yes. Also, isn't it weird that he gets handed a costume? I thought that was and just, a, just form a construct of, of the yeah. ring, but okay. <laughs> and, uh... We, we'll, we'll spoil it here. This is the most interesting panel of the entire <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, elsewhere, we have Wes, if you remember Wes. He's having a chat with Toby Flenderson from The Office about his hopes and dreams as it pertains to his role with the ASEA, that fake NASA knockoff there. Yep. And uh, he says that he would like to go to Mars. Yeah, I didn't catch that Toby Flenderson. Uh, yep, with the I, Costa Rica mug and everything. I don't watch. I, you you are a much more repeated watcher of The Office, but I, <laughs> I did true. watch it when it first was out. All right, uh, 
then Shade becomes a bus stop, uh, or like morphs into it, or somehow uh, something goes on there. Uh, she tries to alert some folks that the Cray are on their way, but you know I think you've come up with the proper motto. Yes, the Cray are, are on their way. way. You know that's like prepare yourselves anyway. Uh, but she scares them with a giant crayfish. But it has mixed results. One woman, the one woman looks horrified. Another guy looks like he's laughing at He's it, laughing. You know? <laughs> I guess that's that madness for you. It just makes you go cuckoo. Uh, seeing as though only a relative handful of folks will hang out at that bus stop, Shade then takes over a wall of televisions in a store window, and then crayfish bust through that. Uh, but this, but people are reacting to it. That's what it, this isn't yes. just happening in a madness zone right that that was my impression yes. it's not um, just something that the reader is seeing it's exactly. actually being seen by observers this book definitely plays with that you know what i mean where you we're not positive what it, what people see yeah. what they don't but yeah they're definitely seeing giant crayfish which i think would be uh newsworthy mm. so uh nearby a, ma- a mailbox also gets a paisley makeover then a paisley uh done up package arrives at teacup's door she opens it and there's a shade the changing woman doll in there and she takes this as a sign. She tried to make peace with River, and she does. After talking to the doll and not getting any responses, that's another her being crazy. <laughs> uh, River then reveals that he's the only one in the DCHE to act as a mole. He's actually on their side. He's keeping Shade safe by erasing any information about her. Yes. Elsewhere, Hellboy's sister is checking in with maybe Meta. Seems like uh, aliens. Some, some council yeah. of aliens. Yeah, I don't know. What to no. <laughs> Now, it looks like uh, she's only on Earth in order to get people there hooked on that drug folly, um, which will maybe somehow cause the Kray to invade Earth instead of Meta, maybe, we think? Something. Uh, Could you know, be. It's gonna, I, think, I think the idea is it raises the madness level. So the Kray will be more and attractive the Kray to like that. like that, I guess, or something, maybe. something to that. Or if not madness level, I don't know, ethereal. Yeah, my, psychedelic my level. Something, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, now, River might have overheard this conversation. He was returning with a tray full of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellboy's sister then talks to a general, uh, and then we get a panel where we see where all the United States missiles are, or all the missiles are fired off, but that... It's it's odd. It's just a it's just a map with missiles. It doesn't seem like they're fired off, but yeah, not yet. Mm, it is strange, but yeah, or maybe yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Really, I'm uh, of two minds about what happened there. Anyway, we rejoin Wes and he and the punk bang again, and we learn that the Ludi games are about to start in Tokyo, which might have been named after the public games that were held during Roman religious festivals back in the long ago. I don't know, mm. uh, but. There are some kind of games. Looks like it's a uh, swimming component of it. The swim team will be performing there, and so the punk is also headed to Tokyo. Tika buys a honey rich doll at a garage sale, or so her shade doll now has a friend, and she tells the proprietor of the garage sale about life with honey's intergalactic ratings, and then gets socked in the eye for being an alien lover. Mm, it reminds me of that Kelly family song, That's "Fell in Love with an Alien." <laughs> there you go. I, 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 <laughs> It's like, if you tell a proprietor of a garage sale about aliens, wouldn't they just be like, get off my property, please? Instead of I would, punching you, know, you for loving aliens? I this, don't know. This might be a stranger world. You know, maybe, it, I mean, the be. Green Lanterns exist in this Shade the Changing Woman <laughs> story, right? So they might this know about them, but I don't know. Very weird. Now, we, we do jump ahead to the start of the Ludi games, which looks to just be a swim meet. Mm-hmm. Um, River, Teacup, and Wes all watch as it unfolds. River and Teacup watch on two separate televisions, and Wes has his laptop on his chest. Um, now, in Tokyo, the punk fills the pool with madness paisleys and tentacles. Mm-hmm. The girls are uh, pulled underwater by these tentacles until the stuff itself leaves the pool as a giant cube of paisley-infected water. Uh, underneath in the dry, uh, the swimmers look to be in a bad way, but they don't look, they don't appear to be dead just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, watching this on the television, Teacup cries at her shade doll, which suddenly turns into the real deal shade, who uh, cradles Teacup for a bit before leaving the house to maybe take care of business. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Then all those missiles fire. And uh, then we wrap up with Shade digging in the desert looking for her heart. So, I mean, they must be trying to break this satellite uh, band that was created. Remember, that that was kind of what, the, what Hellboy's sister was talking about. They got to launch yeah. all these satellites. I'm not sure if they're putting up more satellites or if they're trying to take out 
to take them down. Satellites, yeah. I guess we'll find out. Uh, there is a backup again. Yes. This one's Lepuck. And let me tell you, when I first glanced at this, I was like, this is what we want. It's not yeah. what we want. Uh, this one <laughs> seems to have been truncated. It begins with Lepuck telling friends how he declined membership in the in the corpse, in the core, which we, which we kind of saw earlier when he was kind of vacillating. But then on the next page, they hear Earth is going to be eaten by the Kray, and he says he must respond. He's a Green Lantern. So I re- there was a big switch there. Either he had a total change of heart because he saw that Earth was being threatened, or there was you know something something got left out here. This was supposed to be a couple of parts away from that. I think that's yeah. that's we're going to talk about that uh, <laughs> in the end. But I think that's stuff that's what happened here. So. Uh, on his way to Earth, Lepuck gets shot down by satellites, and his ring saves his body from burning up on impact. So he's got a ring. Uh, eventually, Lepuck gets scooped up by fishermen and sold to an aquarium. What? Like it's very. It ends with him. Yeah, it ends with kind of a comedy ending. He's in a tank with like a bunch of other octopi, Octopuses, yeah. and uh, you know, there's a fish floating in front of his junk. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and I, I don't see him with the ring on anymore. That's <laughs> true. At it. So yeah, this this could be. The end of Lepuck's story in, uh, <laughs> this is, in yeah, this the Changing Room, which is up. pretty depressing. That was pretty much the only thing Chris and, and myself were like really uh, interested in. Uh, yeah. And then after that are two pages of early uh, stage character development for Shade the Changing Woman. And this is pretty cool. Yeah. Different iterations. They went through ideas how they were going to play it. Yeah. And, uh, the Gerard Way sketches there and the Marley take on the Gerard Way uh, sketches there. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool stuff. It's, it's, if you like a little bit of process. Uh, sure. That's what it is. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about this book, Chris. This, <laughs> uh, you know, it, to me, and sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, when we, we review these comics, we're reading these comics. We get a little too our heads involved too much in how the sausage is made, right? Probably we we look too much into intent or how much this. But but to me, this really really feels like twelve issues just got collapsed into, or really nine issues got collapsed into three. Uh, sure, it's it's you know not just the backup, but the fact that rack sh- like that whole rack shade thing was like a huge part of what was going on. And she basically just said, well, I got to go later, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was like in three panels. And, was, and it wasn't even like a clean break. It was just like, I'm gone now. See yeah, you. where did this hole in the madness show up? Like that was <laughs> essentially a convenient escape hole for uh For, for Shade, for Rack, for, for Loma. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, also this, I, I vaguely remember the Cray being the reason. And like, we, we really only found out that Meta was a refugee planet last issue. And yeah. now they're in a conspiracy to shove the Cray off from Meta onto Earth. Onto Earth, uh, yeah. It's, it's happening awfully rapidly, wouldn't you say, Chris? Little bit, little yeah. bit, yeah. This is, truncated is the uh, watchword of the uh, of this issue, I believe, because it, it, there is a lot jammed in here, and it's done in such a way where I kind of compare it to, like, my backlog, what I'm supposed to read, what I, what are the books I want to read, you know, where, yeah. like, when your pile is only, like, maybe 15 books tall, it's like, okay, I can get to all those. And then when it gets to, like, 40 books tall, it's yeah. like, eh, I'll get to most of those. And then when you get to, like, 100, get those, yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's like there are so many things I want to read, but I just don't care enough to do it. I'm and just going to have to move on from, you know, because just cut the link and go from a certain th- point. Yeah. That's what it feels like here, because, like, we have all these new things popping up, but... It's being done in such a way with such uh, urgency where it's hard to care about any single one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I just can't wrap my head around. It's like, okay, well, Teacup is having her moment here, and River is coming clean about his thing, but it's like it's all happening in such rapid succession. It's like we it doesn't even breathe. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, we haven't allowed those characters to develop their their the feelings they have toward each other to even know how mad River is a uh, teacup was a river, you know, like I was like, sure, oh, right. I, I knew she was pissed at him, but, you know, they, they, they really had I, this does feel very rushed. And uh, I think this is just my guess, but I have a feeling word came down around as issue two that things were, things were going to be wrapping up a little quicker and uh, they've had to cope with it, uh, deal with it. You yeah. know, that doesn't excuse the actual comic. If- because if this was always planned to be six issues, like the they're trying to sell us, yeah, that all that means is that the people writing these books do not know how to format a story. Oh, absolutely. If if, if that's the case, then the first issue is literally the worst comic ever written because it, <laughs> it it was nothing. It was nothing happened in it. 
you know, and, and which is which is for a comic like this is not a horrible thing to like reset the tone. That's sure. what it did. It really reestablished, you know, what you know the status quo, and we knew what was going on. But uh, that's fine when you have twelve or, or you know more issues or infinite issues, is. yeah. But when you have when you're looking at six issues, you don't have the luxury of like having spaced out uh, pseudo poetry for you know ten Three pages issues, or whatever yeah. the hell it is. But uh, I mean, this is where we are now, and and you know. I, I truly believe this was uh, handed down, obviously, from we are Young Animal, from DC, and mm-hmm. uh, the creative team the is, counters, is yeah. coping with it. But that being said, we still have to judge the issue on its own merits. We can't give it a, a buy for, you know, because of for some presumed editorial yeah. circumstance. Uh, what did you give it on the site, Chris? I gave it a six. Um, I think it was a little bit of a uh, kinder score than I wanted to give it just because of the circumstance, because, uh, you know, there is there is only so many ways you can write yourself out of this. And uh, I mean, we spent God, we spent three issues and and twelve dollars of of junior high poetry. And uh, even even this issue, I mean, we talked about like the last time this book was canceled and like they spent like four pages on paper dolls. Oh, it's yes. like, come on, we let's get through with the story here. And I mean, even here, we've got a page where we get the definition of madness. It's like, stop. Yeah, stop I mean, I, just just get to the story. I feel like that, you know, that that uh, you know, the uh, writer had to make some decisions Little, and couldn't let adorable certain things purple go. Pros, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, you know, but I'll be honest, I'd give it a six. Also, I'll tell you the positive thing about this is we did suddenly get a lot of forward motion in the story. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it, it went from neutral to uh, second gear over the here, to, yeah. or third gear. So um, things things are happening in it, and uh, you know, I, an alien invasion of Earth is a classic thing. I would like to kind of see where that goes. I hope that Shay just gets her heart back and uh, she can posse up with River and Teacup. Kind of hope. You know, we talked earlier about this being possibly the end of. Uh, uh, what's his name? LePuck story LePuck. that yeah. they just kind of end it with a ban 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 ban, and I think that could be possible. I don't want to believe it though, Chris, because <laughs> it's because it's built up for the past four months. You know, it's been it's, it's been the main thing. We're like, wow, we want to see what's up with this guy being down with the Green Lantern Corps, and like yep. whether that could even bleed into DC because there's definitely plenty of people in the. Uh, Kilowog was there, sure. So the so fact that Kilowog was there to me yeah. that that told me now we are getting into some kind of crossover. So if they end it like this. That would be pretty lame, but I Sorry. there's also the high possibility that they need those those backup pages for the next couple of issues to maybe do away with the backup and just tell this story. That might be exactly what happens. Yeah. We'll find out. Anyway, though, I would I would give this also a six, but I'm gonna keep it. You know, I'm six, feeling better about it than you. You know, you're yeah. six, you're feeling pulled away. I'm feeling pulled towards. So, but we're still in the same <laughs> at the same number. Uh, I mean, and the art's fantastic still. The, the art, the art still looks great, and I think I think this was a great choice for the series was to uh, have. Gosh, I don't remember anybody's name when it Marley Sarcone, yeah, uh, to do this. Uh, the, great choice for this kind of work, and uh, I know Vertigo just got relaunched. You, you saw that, right? Some, so some of it. Yeah. So something's going on for next year. So maybe she'll get involved in something there. Would be cool or. Some other sort of weirdo book. I think weirdo <laughs> books is really with where this where that's at, right? You know, I think so. I don't yeah. see her on the Flash, quite frankly. But maybe <laughs> uh, stranger things have happened. Next week we do have a book, and we have it in our hot little hands. It is Eternity mm-hmm. Girl number four. Uh, now that was always supposed to be a six issue. Yes. So, so that'll be formatted better. Hopefully, in theory, it should be at, le- <laughs> at least it should follow the, whatever the intent was. So, uh, looking forward to that, and we will bring that to you in uh, whatever the due time for next Sunday. But I think that's all we got from now, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, I think that'll do us. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down.
back to the Young Animals segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And this week we have the Uno, Young Animal Uno. Mm-hmm. Uno to read for you. It is uh, Eternity Girl number four, written by Magdalene Visaggio, art by Sonny Liu and Chris Chukri. So do you remember this guy's name with the afro, Chris? I don't remember. Did we ever hear him get his name? I don't, I, you know, I for a second I thought this was a crossover with that that Cave Carson thing with the uh, the Prince guy for right. a minute, but uh, but it's not. But it's, no, I don't know who this guy is. This, this is this is in the second issue. There were like those celestial characters were talking over the fact that they, you know, that's right. They yeah. had killed one of them, but we don't we just don't know who they are. But anyway, so this guy, this is the uh, one of the celestials. He's a fellow wearing a tracksuit, has a big afro. He's the DJ guy. He's playing a record. And this record seems to be a reality or like an allegory to a reality, maybe. Uh, in this case, it's the Chaos Engine is the name of the record by Caroline Sharp. And uh, now she kicked the Chaos Engine into gear at the end of last issue when Caroline had her nuclear meltdown in the real world. That was her kicking it at the Chaos Engine in the alternate world. Do you remember this, Chris? Anybody? Hello? Uh. <laughs> or some such thing like this. Uh, anyway, the allegory here is that the Celestial DJ plays each potential universe as a record one at a time, but always playing a record for some of some kind for infinity. So I figure that's good enough for a, uh, you know, we got all kinds. We got like the earth is on the back of a turtle, right? The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Existence is the dream of a child on the atom in the atom of a fingernail of a giant. This, this is, this works just as well. That's fine. You know, you want it to be a record. That's good enough. Uh, so this leads us to the first iteration of Caroline's new reality. Uh, it's sort of like that scene in RoboCop where Murphy first comes online. You see the world from the robot's point of view. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Director Sloan has resurrected Caroline in the body of a golden robot who with a decidedly penis-shaped head, I'm going to say. I don't know if that's an, an important fact. Maybe they wanted mm. it to look like she had a lady's haircut, but... I thought it kind of looked like uh, like Joan Rivers' character on Spaceballs. It's kind of like, actually, you know what? Now that you say it, maybe that was more the, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> which also, her head was somewhat penis-shaped, shaped too, like so penis. it all works. <laughs> uh, so now the missing component, says Sloan, was that he hadn't given the robot a soul. Having done so, Caroline blinks awake and sits up. But then Sloan's assistant produces a gun from her lab coat and shoots him in the face for playing God. And then it looks like maybe the assistant shoots the Caroline robot. Possibly it doesn't. It just kind of goes to a blank panel, blank. Yeah. but it doesn't really matter, as we'll find out. Yeah, the following iteration is a kind of a Mad Max scenario with a like a tank girl kind of art. Uh, I will say the art here is is, is really good. Um, yeah. Now in this universe, Caroline is a motorcycle riding archaeologist. Uh, she was hired by the Queen of the Desert to find an ancient machine. However, upon finding it, Caroline decided she does not want to hand it over. Because, you see, it gives her superpowers. Now, the Queen of the Desert, who's actually a version of our friend Madam Adam, is after Caroline with her fleet of war vehicles and a mutant army. But Caroline is able to take them all out with a solid punch. Then she breaks wind in their direction and has eye beams controlled by a smartphone. Yeah. Uh, why not? Uh, then the queen of the desert, who's looking very snake-like, punches Caroline through the stomach. And so Caroline dies, and the queen attains some immeasurable power. Yeah, she's cackling crazy. Can you feel it? But then, boom, we whip over to another iteration. Uh, Caroline is reincarnated into... What I'm going to say is probably like a look like a Silver Age comic, maybe even like a 60s hmm. kind of barbaric cartoon, definitely that kind of a time feels, frame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alfred, it doesn't. It has like a a haze over it, but not really the dots or the. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too into <laughs> it's, it. It's just faded paper. They do. They. they it's a, it's a good enough. Uh, job whatever uh sure. so alpha 13 is monitoring world events from their computer banks and uh, here caroline's just an ordinary keyboard jockey sitting at this giant screen rick aka the neverman this is the guy who has an outfit sort of like geoforces uh yep. that was called up by director sloan last issue he strolls into the office just as the giant screen is showing a picture of madam adam scowling Rick talks Caroline up, says she's a great a great lady, but she's trying to put off by all this attention. Uh, then there's this great explosion, and Madam Adam reveals herself in the flesh with a bunch of helmeted minions. She says Caroline is an elemental superhero with the power of a god, and Madam Adam is able to exchange power with her somehow. 
It seems that Madam Adam has control over atomic structures, and Caroline is like an atom bomb or something. I, I don't really understand. I mean, I thought Caroline had basically the same power also, I thought. Yeah, I um, don't know. So yeah. together, they're like Firestorm, right? I guess. Sure, I don't know. throw them in the Matrix, why not? Uh, whatever the case, when they connect, Alpha 13 building disappears. Now they're in like, maybe like a futuristic anime world or something. This one was the hardest for me to figure. It, it looks like really cheap Akira. Uh, yeah. In a way, you know what I mean, but uh, not on the nose enough for me to say that's that's what it is. But uh, so the the KS engine I think is humming along, or it's one of those pod racers from the from the uh, Star Wars. This the uh, first <laughs> order, but what is that? What the hell was that one called? Phantom Menace, right? That's uh, it. so. Madam Adams in an all black costume now threatens to threatens to bring everything all down around us. She's going to ruin everything, but Caroline just thwarts her again. <laughs> We hop into our next iteration, which is a it's several parody comic strips of uh, Peanuts by Charles Schultz. Uh, Madam Adam is playing Lucy, holding the football away from Caroline, who is Charlie Brown, who tries to kick it. And she yanks it away, of course. Uh, we even go into a parody of the psychiatric help peanut strip where uh, where Lucy's sitting behind the counter with a, with a little box that says, you know, five cents. But here it says five hundred dollars. Um, in the last strip, Caroline zaps Madam Adam into a skeleton, which causes feedback that zaps Caroline into a skeleton. Uh, we end with director Sloan and his assistant walking by saying this was inevitable. For some reason. So now the next iteration is one where she's produced that nuclear fission in her body. That's like the reality that we knew about. Uh, and this created a massive mushroom cloud over Manhattan. I'm going to say that that mushroom cloud was by an explosion that eradicated much of the city in the process. So Caroline's lying on the ground unconscious and at first looks like this to be the celestial DJ, but then proves to be Rick in his Neverman costume that wakes her up and invites her to have a talk over a cup of coffee. Meanwhile, in that other universe uh, where the chaos engine exists, I guess, Caroline's about to touch that chaos engine. She somehow realized the stakes here, but Madam Adam spells them out for us anyway. See, this isn't just about Caroline killing herself, but killing every virgin of herself forever. And she says that Caroline's immortality is a mistake. It's a side effect of the accidental reincarnation that happened due to the Milk Wars reboot. Do you get it now, Chris? Are you understanding? Yeah, I get it. Now, now my now my thing is, if one is suicidal, why would killing every version of yourself be a deterrent? Uh, if you know what I mean, sure. if, if you're suicidal, okay. then you're like you're like, yeah, I want I want every piece, I want every bit, I don't want you know every parallel universe, I don't want anyone, I don't want any one of them left. But uh, anyway, so not that I not that I'm even sure that this is meant to be a deterrent. We don't even know. Adam, yeah. Adam is just like saying things because she's obviously gone totally crazy now. So now the Celestial DJs, he's looking on this scene while Madam Adam and uh, Caroline are talking. And now we're back at the diner, and Rick tells Caroline that he was seconds away from being unable to stop from having her meltdown. See, he's the Neverman, king of the things that never happened. And so he can activate alternate realities to undo mistakes? Or something like that, I guess? Yeah. Now, anyway, uh, Rick points out that Caroline would have taken down half of Manhattan, which is something that uh, she never considered because she's a uh, selfish lady in her mid-30s who acts like a child. Um, And then record breaks on a turntable in space. So it basically ends. We don't we. Couldn't tell you what the hell is going to happen in the next no. issue at all. I, you know, I really, we could end up with a uh, crappy parody of uh, whatever uh, Amazing Man next one. But uh, could be the backup here was those Shade the Changing Woman sketches, which if you missed them on the other issues, <laughs> then here they are. Here they be, and uh, they're still just as good as they were there. But you know, that's sure. just two pages to fill up. So, uh, what did you think here, Chris? I hated this. Yeah, you weren't into this at all. Oh, this, uh, you know, this is something that we've, I hate this whole, let's look at the meta of comics. Mm. Uh, We get this just so damn often now. Um, It seems to be all these young writers who've kind of informed what comics is by reading Vertigo comics have decided that this is what comic books are, where 
I remember back in like the around the turn of the century, Warren Ellis had this thing where he said you wouldn't go into a bookstore and read, look for a book about nurses if like all the books there are about nurses. You know, when he was trying to rail against everything being about superheroes. Yeah. Everything here is meta crap. Well, <laughs> like, a, I, a, I don't need to see it. You are talking. It's true because you're talking about a generation that came up reading comics where a deconstruction of them was just one of the many things that's happening. It's yeah. And it's, it's something that's been happening nonstop since at least, I would say, since Watchmen. Our births. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, even, you know, we could even maybe look back further to other, you know, more realistic takes on superheroes. But it's become more and more navel gazing as we get along uh, i don't want this i don't want issue six to be eternity girl meeting magdalene visagio yeah you know it very, but I, it, I can't it, bet against it it may very well have happened exactly like that yeah animal man was was very much like the uh, deconstruction mm-hmm. of comics and um astro city which i love is like that too and you know king you know, we can go on and on and on king sure. comments like that even to an extent uh the hell's the Marvel one? Legends? What's it called? Marvels. Marvels. Yeah. I, I mean, and we're talking about some of my favorite titles, but the, the returns are diminishing as we go along. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And and now the problem here, and I talked about this, is I'm I'm a real sucker for parody and satire like this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I I just have always liked it. I love seeing that. Uh, one of my favorite things ever. If you ever see this in the wild, Chris, I want to look at it. The National Lampoon Book of Comic Book History. Mm-hmm. And it's fake, and it's all like parodies of comics. It's one of my favorite things. Anyway, this one, though, because it had like a couple that were specific, you know, the Peanuts one was right on the nose. The Tank yeah. Girl one was real close to Tank Girl. But the other two were more, or the other three iterations, or whatever, however many it was, now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it, they were more, like, they seemed genre. Yeah, maybe yeah, they or, were like evoked the genre they evoked where they something. didn't just lift. Yeah, uh, that that kind of kills the message that you might you know that you're, the connections you're trying to make. You know what I mean? Because certainly, yeah, you know, Madam Adam being the Lucy to steal the football away from Charlie, you know, Charlie Brown, uh, Caroline. That's a good allegory. You got to come up with allegories like that in other works. Then, if you're going to go that way, I think you know mm-hmm. what I mean. You can't. You can't. Do it, you know, have a specific satire one part and then a more generalized one later on. Anyway, that's my take on it. I believe that that is uh, what we would call lazy writing when you do it. I was going to uh, say, I think I think if you need to be a writer of a certain skill before you write a story, that starts with the idea of wouldn't it be cool if. Yeah. I think, I, like, I, I, I think that, that a lot of this scene, this issue, or at least this little branch, was built around the idea of this Peanuts comic. Uh, it almost got to be. It yeah. didn't flesh out the other things, you know. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's, that's the hard decisions we make as writers, or you make as writers, since I'm not talking about myself here, but uh, <laughs> that you would cut, you would maybe cut that if that didn't work. But uh, Sure. Whatever it was, it, this issue was uh, sort of middled along, but at least we did get, you know, the Neverman showing up, I guess, at the end. I didn't like his power, because if he can just, if he can activate alternate realities that never happened isn't he basically like the rewind man like the the 60 mm-hmm. seconds man right from uh the hell book was that we read the uh, young heroes in love was that it yeah yeah <laughs> that's what he did he, he could go back in time 60 seconds that's basically what this guy's power is just undo yeah. so it's uh eh, whatever but then again yeah i mean i'll be honest it makes me think of like uh, crazy heroes that Grant Morrison made, or the villains in uh, yeah, like Doom the one who has the superpowers that you never thought of. Exactly, or, was it Nun Girl or whatever, or whatever that was? There yeah. was that, or the one, the guy who you just couldn't see. You always, you always like look, overlooked him. I forget what his name yeah. was. You know, mm-hmm. the Brotherhood like, of Dada character. That was yeah. a, exactly, and that reminds me that I was like, well, those to me, that was like a clever thing. Uh, you know, this this guy, his power opens more questions than it answers. Anyway. Sure. This is very big. This is very much nitpicking overall. And it's not. And it's not. It's not interesting enough to even pursue the answers. Unfortunately, that's, that's the thing. Is yeah. It's it's like I it, it, this I where this ends up doesn't seem to have any real stakes or ramifications. Uh, I figure it's going to either end with her meeting her writer, or it's just going to be undone as if it never happened. Uh, and uh, if you're expecting us to pay twenty five dollars for this, uh, that that's kind of a, a kick in the teeth. It is. It is. It's rough. I think that this is. Uh, 
The art was good though. I like the value. art. I like the art. And I like I like the versatility of yeah. Sunny Lou. All of, those feelings and all those uh, genres, styles. like you said, yeah. great stuff. The, yeah. the, the the tougher one was the uh, you know that future one, but I, he evoked something there. You definitely knew a genre change had happened. Certainly. So, uh, that's really all that mattered. So. I don't think it's like an un, not a quality comic. It's just not a great read, which I guess <laughs> could mean it's not a quality comic. Anyway, uh, I ended up giving it a six point five. Probably could have gone six. Uh, sort of, sort of erred on the side of feeling positive. Where do you think you would land on this? I'd probably go five five. I, I wouldn't give it a solid five with the with what comes with that. The, but uh, I'd, I'd give it about a five five. <laughs> yeah, and uh, much of that is on the versatility of Sonny Lou. Yeah, that's that was that is good. So uh, there it is, folks. We got two more of this one, and remember, this one is the book that is planned to be six issues, and always yeah. was planned to be that way. So whatever the ending we should get, be on point. <laughs> exactly, is the ending that has always been considered. I, I would think would be uh, what we get in issue sure. six. But next week, what do we have, Chris? We got Cave Carson and his Interstellar Eye number four. All right, and I think we might see some. Uh, Story collapsing happening there. I haven't looked at it yet. But I think you're right. <laughs> we'll find out. I don't want to. I don't want to denigrate it before we even get a chance to look at it. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that and find out what's Certainly. happening in the good old Cave Carson. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? Nope, that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks. I want you to keep it young and animalistic. Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach. segment on the weird science dc comics.com podcast my name is reggie my name is chris and today we're going to spelunk and read a young animal book for you it is cave carson has an interstellar eye number four by john rivera michael avon oming and nick Falardi. and actually there's a backup and i don't have his name but hmm. uh, a great a great man a great man did that back up one of the best take my word for it so uh <laughs> since leaving the last planet and that conflict between the laser monks and the Najire, uh cave carson chloe and dr mark barstow have been holed up in the cybernetic eyes pocket dimension for weeks there was a breach in the mighty mall's hull presumably they're working on it although you don't really see any evidence of that happening but right now they've got to head out into the world in search of food they come up on a crashed spaceship, fungus growing pro- profusely from the hull. Uh, you know, not this fungus shit again, but no, this is mm. different fungus, much more mushroom-looking. This isn't that same uh, whatever the hell that was in the first Oop. volume. Yeah. Uh, and Cave discovers it's edible. Of course, Dr. Barstow is the first one to eat a mushroom. Uh, Cave also says they can strip this ship of useful parts for the Mighty Mole and they can get Chloe home. And Chloe's like, you mean get us home, right? And uh, that's when Cave says he overheard Chloe talking to Zot in the Cave of Acquisition last issue, which actually we saw not only the conversation, but we saw Cave overhear it. Uh, And in that conversation, Chloe was complaining about traveling around with her dad, which, you know, is something you might expect a teenage or a young woman to be complaining about. Certainly. Uh, at the same time, Dr. Barstow, uh, well, he ate the mushroom, so he is tripping balls, as uh, he is wont to do. <laughs> yes. uh, we, we, he sees visions of what happened on this ship uh, by examining a long-decayed corpse. Uh, it looks like when the engine died, there was a mutiny. Um, Chloe and Cave are looking for Dr. Barstow, and in so doing, uh, they activate the ship's defenses. Sort of a techno-organic thing happening here. Uh, the fungi appear to... Uh, they appeared in fire lasers. Yeah, okay. they, they sprout guns and just start shooting at them, I guess. Start blasting. Yeah. Uh, now, there are also organic creatures with guns attached to them firing on the crew as well. Uh, while they're running from the, from the defenses, Cave makes an observation that the growth on this ship is hundreds, if not thousands, of years old. Uh, then Cave pops out his cybernetic eye, uh, which then pops out the Mighty Mole, and it has anti-laser coating, oh. which is very, very, very 
advantageous. I guess that whole breach is all done now or something. I don't know what the deal is there. Uh, so Dr. Hmm. Dr. Barstow starts freaking out over some sound only he can hear. Seems the mushrooms are full of memory and sound, according to him. Cave adjusts the Mighty Moles radio and picks up the sound. It's rabble-rousing speech not about not forgiving traitors and remembering their dark deeds. Dr. Barstow conjectures this is connected to the mutiny and that the former crew may have sabotaged their own hyperdrive. Not sure why he got that from there, but okay. Uh, then he, sur- he then surmises that the creatures attacking him evolved on the ship and absorbed all the mean thoughts and weaponry of the crew before them, and that's why they were shooting at them before. Uh, while driving away, Cave talks to Chloe about her idea of turning their podcast into a video documentary, but she recalls a time when, as a child, he almost got her eaten by a giant glowworm for the purposes of research and filming it. He's sorry about that and admits he spent a lot of years acting like an asshole. After mm-hmm. having to leave his former, that's a quote, by the way, I did not call <laughs> Cave Carson. Uh, after having to leave his former teammate Bulldozer behind, he says he was never the same. And we saw this happen in last issue's backup story. This is actually what the backup has been about, which I have to say, I like that, Chris. You know, at least Absolutely. it made that those stories meaningful. And There's that has been, yeah. that has been, I think, the best backup in all of the animal in the way that it's actually been, like, not a pain or For sure. not a pain to read and also not... Uh, not overly told, artsy. Yeah, it's like I could at least understand what was going on. Each, I was like, well, this is just a story of you know Cave Carson. But uh, so Cave says he could never apologize for losing Bulldozer, who he calls Bully, very cute, because he meant uh, it meant he would have admitted failure, and so he found he could no longer apologize after that. Uh, he even got too intense while working with Star Adam, recording his voice that had the power to blow Cave's clothes off, and we saw that like two issues ago as well. Uh, Star abandoned that album they were working on together to Cave's chagrin. So Cave could never apologize to his own daughter for being a lame dad, which really only makes him a way lamer dad. And Chloe (laughs) says that the only thing he truly lost was perspective. Uh, Two hours later, the Mighty Mole nears the bridge of the spaceship, which, uh, boy, you know, this must must be a pretty big spaceship. (laughs) Big spaceship. Uh, (laughs) uh, There they see the corpses of uh, lightly armed men uh, scattered around uh, uniformed soldiers. Uh, Cave guesses that they must have been following orders they weren't all that thrilled about. Uh, Dr. Barstow decides to pop a mushroom and to find out because that is how he reads. That's what he does. Yeah, that stuff. <laughs> now, he learns that the inhabitants of this ship's world uh, was destroyed by another empire. Uh, they left that exploded world in a ship armed to the teeth, ready for revenge. But the hyperdrive was sabotaged by the crew, as Dr. Barstow guessed earlier. Uh, then there was a lot of infighting on that ship. Uh, the weapons on board were some kind of biological agent, which is deadly to their enemies and also to the crew of the ship. Uh, the, uh, but this agent also formed new life, which we know as the ship's defenses. Right, and all the mushrooms and fungi around. All the fungus. So uh, Cave now eats a mushroom from the corpse of one uniformed fellow with very, uh, you know, well-designed epaulets. And turns out this is the captain, and his own son was the one that sabotaged the hyperdrive. Uh, the son, in this uh, vision, implores that his father drop this war, but his dad says he cannot and murders his own son and then names the empire they're from, the Barry. This might be meaningful later in the next two issues, we mean. That's <laughs> all we have left. And uh, this resonates with Cave, who, as we've seen, is also a crappy dad. Yeah. Fiddling with the ship, Dr. Barstow <laughs> finds out that the uh, other empire were known as the Metri. This Again, this may come up again, so I'm just mentioning it. Outside, <laughs> hearing the anti-Metri propaganda uh, activated, two blue space monkeys react to it. And no, they aren't Gleek. Actually, maybe they are Gleek. I'm maybe, not sure. Yeah, Possibly. Huh. They look like they could be Gleek. Uh, somehow they're able to fly this ship away. And Cave hopes it's somewhere that the life forms can get a fresh start. But before they get very far, the space popos show up with 5-0 emblazoned on the front. <laughs> and uh, the, I thought this was funny. Dr. Barstow runs to flush his pills. I was just, yes. that's, But I thought it was hilarious because it's like, you're, you're taking drugs everywhere. Like, is this real? Is this illegal in interstellar uh, law? I don't know. Sure. I don't know what the jurisdiction is. I have no Yeah, I just want to know how that works. So, uh, so yeah, the backup, as uh, Chris has, has very helpfully informed uh, me, is, was done by Paul Mayberry. And uh, this continues from the last issue. Cave heads back to wherever to try and free Bulldozer. But some kind of teleportation field manifests or something. It's sort of hard to tell, but 
It wisps Bulldozer away forever. He can't do it, and Cave is very remorseful about it. Yes. And that wraps up the, uh, you know, the third to last issue of Cave Carson Has an Interstellar Eye. So what are your thoughts, Chris? I think I'm starting to get over Cave Carson. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily, it's not, not far to go to just, just get over. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. It just uh, seems very samey. It's uh, I, I appreciated the uh, the nice moments between Cave and uh, Chloe. Yeah, I thought those were really cool. Um, because they they do come across as you know estranged family members, and I I think that was really neat. Um, gotta say I'm I'm really really getting tired of the tripping. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean it's sort of a hallmark uh, of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I know of the, of the comic. Yeah. It's just like uh, it's like hard hard drug. Uh, we we get it. I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure folks still dig it, but uh, well, it, it's kind of it's kind of run its, it's course. With it's me. become a formulaic device now, and it's yeah. it's, it's become a way to tell uh, any part. It where... facilitates weird art, which usually is great. Yeah. But uh, well, they, they picked yeah, yeah. Uh, they picked a good artist for it, you know, for yeah. that kind of thing. But now we are 16 issues. And I think we've seen a psychedelic trip every every single one of them. In fact, I'm at least one in virtually positive that's what they that's what this team does. And uh, yeah, it gets to be sort of a lazy storytelling device. Uh, you know, I, I, one thing I did really liked about this is I was really worried we would just get nine issues of story collapsed into these issues. And this. Yeah. Even though this does feel compressed, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, it was essentially a one-off. This is a you know Star Trek episode, a you know Planet of the Week type thing. Sure. Um, and I was like, all right, well that that's how I would prefer to see it done than to see it 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 shoved together. That being said, this did feel like a, a story that could have expanded over two or even three issues. Uh, yeah. A lot of convenient things that we mentioned happened, like the Mighty Mole being suddenly fixed. Uh, you know, uh, Barstow realizing that they, that they sabotaged <laughs> yeah. their own hyperdrive. Like, right away. Yeah. A lot of very convenient things. In fact, the whole the whole mystery comes down awfully rapidly, I thought, you know, not doesn't unfold uh, the same way I think that this, this book usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, something that, and this, this, is, this is the most nitpicky thing because Michael Avon Oming has a very unique style. Um, yeah. You know, this isn't something where, where you can open your average... Uh, oming book and say you know this is this is crap because it doesn't look like whatever you know jose luis garcia lopez it's a it's a totally unique style that being said though being having read so many issues of this this felt uh rushed it felt a lot yeah. of, a lot of the pages felt a lot rushed. of the polish was uh wasn't wasn't, it wasn't as polished yeah he does a lot of after effects i didn't see you know and and a lot of the faces didn't look quite finished being rendered even the yeah. psychedelic scenes which which sort of emulated the uh, Beatles yellow submarine cartoon uh, just wasn't as as wacky as he usually does. Kind and, of boilerplate and, as far as yeah. tripping is concerned. Yeah, and pretty much. Yeah, exactly. This this is what like, a lot of people would do. And, and he's really developed such a unique style throughout this book and throughout his career uh, that this didn't evoke it. I really did get the impression that he had to step it up, maybe make some last minute changes. The backup Shift definitely years, looks yeah. wildly different. Than the uh, last three issues have. It looks like it, they had to st- he, that uh, Paul Mayberry had to step that up. That's conjecture, and I think to say it looks bad would be wrong also because sure, it, sure. it looks like a Cave Carson book still, you know. And then and it looked familiar. It wasn't like I was it was something brand new, but it definitely looked unfinished to me. Uh, yeah. However, I was okay with it. I I had a good time with it, and like I said, I, I was more glad that we were getting a one-off story that you know. In the end, is not not a, not entirely original, but not an entirely bad story. You know, tripping aside, uh, sure, it's it's this. I really have no great feelings for or against this. Uh, you know, the mutiny, <laughs> the, the mutiny aboard a ship of a, a son. You know, uh, getting killed by his father. It's it's uh, you know, you take that what you want. So, uh, but I, I did enjoy it, and uh, you know, if the last two issues are more like this. Uh, and you know, you you pointed out too the the moments between Cave and Chloe, which I think were the is the story really being told here. Yeah. Uh, that Rivera, John Rivera, will have to conclude in some way by the sixth issue. Uh, that was nice. So, sure. uh, I ended up giving this an eight out of ten. Where do you think you might land with it? 
I'd probably go between seven and seven point five, um, and, that, and that's just personally. It feels like we, and I always get on. I always, I think it's uh, knowing, you know, knowing where the sausage is made here. It's uh, we only have so few pages of the story left, and it feels like we're wasting what we have left on yeah. on excessive pages of of really subpar psychedelics here this time. And, uh, and I mean, I don't like, I don't care about the mutiny. So I don't know what the point, like if there are other stories that need to be told for this character mm. in this volume that was supposed to be, I don't know why we're getting this. One. Yeah. I you mean, know, it the, the, seems the like mention, such a weird gap. The mention of the Barry and the Metre or Metroid. I, I was surprised to even see them named, which is yeah. why, which is the only reason I, I brought it up and makes me think we, that may come into we play over the next yeah. two issues. Uh, how or you know I don't know I you know what I mean I it's like it's so weird looking at it with two issues I'm like where are you going to go with this you know is it yeah. just going to be like they're going to pass by the Barry thrift store and that'll be that you know what I mean I, you know what I mean it could be a little tiny thing it could be the uh, crux for the next two issues so we will have to find out I guess but uh, mm-hmm. you know I think that uh, there were definitely worse uh, four oh, issues certainly. and we read two of them recently. So. <laughs> We but anyway, uh, uh, we got a comic next week. We're pretty sure. What is that one? That one is Mother Panic, Gotham AD number four. That that wraps up our fourth issue of every Young Animal book. That's right. It? I believe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Every issue we'll have done um, all four. So then we go into our five is our penultimate month of That's Young Animal. That's right. Eight. Oh man, penultimate. I I I love that word because Eric hates it so much. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, so we will be cracking on with that, and Young Animal is coming to a rapid conclusion. But uh, I think that's all we got from this week. Chris, got anything else for him? That'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. Welcome back to the Young Animals segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have an Young Animal book to read for them today. Yes. What is it there, Chris? <laughs> this is Mother Panic, Gotham AD number four. This is Different Bat Channel, part four. Written by Jody Hauser with art by Ibrahim Mustafa and Jordan Boyd. And uh, we pick up, well, not exactly right where we left off, but... Uh, there is some forward momentum here, because we do open with the news of Violet Page's return from the dead. Now, if you recall that in this Gotham, Violet was reported as among the dead in the Gatherhouse fire. If you'll also recall, it was revealed last issue that this Gotham's Violet survived, and was being kept alive or just in a stasis in a fluid-filled tube by Gala's Collective. This newspaper report is about the surfacing of our Violet, though, yes. the one that we've been following for the past almost two years now. That's right, actually. Yeah, well, it's going to be 18 issues all, all told. <laughs> it wow. is, yeah. Now, in the first volume of Mother Panic, it was established that Violet Page was a dilettante or a celebutante, uh, basically famous for being famous. Nobody really knows how or why. No. Uh, so it would stand to reason that she would know how to work the media, and she does so here to announce her return. She also makes quite a societal splash upon her return, and it's not long before Gala and the gang catch wind that she's back. We shift over to Gala, who's talking to Violet's brother, Victor Page. They're both gobsmacked and annoyed at the news. It's not long before Gala puts two and two together and suspects this Violet might have something to do with that white witch that rescued the Oracle. 
And this is like really a scarily fast revelation. Uh, yes. Maybe our first sign of the uh, the six issue squeeze that young po- animal is feeling. Possibly, right uh, you know, don't want to assume too much, but yeah, this definitely felt like a very Batman sixty six, you know, connection. <laughs> like, oh, maybe it's that sir, you know. Yes, it's exactly that. <laughs> uh, now, uh, the pair that is uh, Victor and Va- Victor and Gala, they check with Mister Freeze to inquire as to whether or not anyone could have gotten a hold of the page DNA. Now, before Gala accuses Victor, that's Victor Page, not Victor Freeze, of spreading that DNA all over Gotham. So now we switch over to Jason Todd and his gang of irregulars, and he's referred here as as Lord Robin. Uh, he's being informed of the Bat being reborn in the form of Mother Panic, and he is not into that idea at all. He sees himself as Gotham's sole savior and the inheritor of the Bat Mantle. Uh, and he really he does look basically like Red Red Hood looks now as far as uh, you know outfit and everything he's got yeah, that, totally. that gray suit with the with Ooh, the red yeah. hat on it. Uh, on the wall we see that there's several familiar crucified characters including Nightwing and a few Robins and the newest bit of wall art is the Joker. So later so he really has. Uh, left himself as the only heir he feels. <laughs> uh, later, Lord Robin calls for Jonathan Crane to meet with him, and there there are some fun bits of bat paraphernalia scattered around this office, uh, and an unto-subtle copy of The Art of War. Crane is ordered to accompany that tiny Joker-faced kid we met last issue into the city and uses Scarecrow Toxin to sow a little chaos and fear. Mm-hmm. Now, back at the Mother Panic, Panic compound, we have Fennec Fox, who's combing Mama Panic's hair. Fox talks about the machine that made her a hero as a reference to Milk Wars. That's the only damn book still talking about. It really about it. is. <laughs> and using it in a way that like makes sense, you know. That it's works. Like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and they, this might – I, I don't want to go back and reread Shade the Changing Woman, but uh, this might be the only book that talks about it. I, I, I'm trying to think of other instances in season two of Young Animal where um... they've mentioned or alluded to it. I'll think about. I mean, in in Eternity Girl, they they allude to a reboot, and that's because that's why her whole thing. That's yeah. her whole thing is that she came from that reboot. I don't think they ever say Milk Wars. They just talk about no. it as the reboot or something. But uh, weird. Now, while while Fennec is talking about her powers, Mama is using her powers and speaks of hearing screams, and she says they're coming faster and louder. And so Fennec decides it's time to go out and find Violet, and she finds her making out with. Some dude in a club. Yeah, I'm just kind of standing there, little, looking at him, and he <laughs> why, gets. Why is this girl? Yeah, why yeah. is this girl staring at he him? He gets a little schemed out. I don't blame him. <laughs> so uh, somewhere in Gotham, that Joker-faced kid kills a woman by throwing a knife into her eye. Uh, then this scarecrow comes out and scatters some toxin, which really starts freaking them out. You see, like, uh, the, what they're hallucinating. You know, it's all all kinds of freaky Joker-ish. A puppet, a Joker with spiders on his face. There's like a pterodactyl Joker. Yeah, <laughs> people people are bugging out. So before long, Mother Panic and Fennec Fox arrive on the scene, and Violet jumps right into battle. Nearby, Fennec Fox refers to Mother Panic as her sidekick, and uh, then she slices the Joker kid's Achilles tendons. It just like kind of slips right by. Uh, the kid goes down, and Fox is an earful for Mother Panic. She says they don't hurt kids, which is apparently the rule. Although I think yeah. a kid can hurt a kid. Right, I think sure. that's the right. You yeah, know, as long as you're, that's all there's, fair. There's, yeah. it, it should be you know like a three age, a three year either way, or two or three year either way age <laughs> rule. That's how it works. Now, uh, Violet etches a mother panic calling card into a nearby wall before they both leave the scene, and then we wrap up back at Jason Todd's office where the scarecrow reports their failure. And so, uh, you know, let the punishment fit the crime. Jason blows his brains out. Yep, it's got to be that kind of an outfit, I guess. You know, they cannot mm-hmm. tolerate any. Uh, Strike one, you're out. Yeah, that's it, you know. Uh, you know, he does not seem to have compunction against killing core no. characters, having strung all these guys up on his wall. The backup <laughs> is uh, Mother Panic telling Fennec Fox's story. I'm trying to get to it to remember what exactly yeah, it's, uh, it was. It's, it's like a, te- it's a telling of Mama Panic about her about her being rescued from Gala. Like, Gala becomes like a vine. Right, yeah. Like a, With a, a Gala head on, on like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I see. It's, it's basically a retelling of that, and it, it says in the end that uh, Gala is, you know, the, he tells it as if she's a sleeping beauty or something, but obviously just means that she's sort of, you know, lurking in the background waiting to strike. Yes. Which we can assume will happen in the next two issues, since that's all there Very is to likely. it. Very <laughs> likely. So, uh, yeah, I, I dug this issue. What would you think of it, Chris? 
I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, we, we talked a little off the air. We, we might actually miss this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, lot, a, there's a, a lot of stuff in it, like Fennec Fox, and even like stuff with her mother, and like sure. the world they've built here, I'm interested in it. I want to see Absolutely. more of it, and... Uh, yeah, I think I think this is the one I'm really gonna miss. Uh, I'm like I'm like, damn, we only have two issues. So it's like, a, and you know, again, this is sometimes you know you you know too much about how the sausage is made; it can taint your perception. Sure. Uh, you know, we know that this was a truncated series at some point. This really does feel like they got to the point real really fast here. Yeah. Uh, you know, they Jason Todd. I believe he was kind of snuck in the end of last issue. Now suddenly he's the core member of the story. I was waiting for him to be like the next three issue arc. That's what uh, it uh, felt like. Yeah. yeah, that really is what it like. This was going to be the gala arc, and then yeah. Jason was going to. Uh, obviously, they're they're they. I feel like they're they're wrapping it up. Although, of all the books that we've read so far that are doing that, this probably handled it the best. Oh, this um, is the neatest and tidiest for sure. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I I don't I'm not too mad at it. You know, I think this. This did an okay job. Uh, obviously, visually, it's the same as it's ever been this whole sure. season. It looks fine. Uh, there's one weird thing that you know mm. I wanted to. We did talk about this off the air. That um, I guess we could say we both agree that we. I think we would like this better if it weren't for the superfluous cursing. Yeah. Uh, it's really and it and the reason is because it feels superfluous. It's not. It's always in frustration. You know. Mm-hmm. It's always uh, and we can say it because we're on the weird science. You know. It's always fuck. Yeah. The Batman or, you know, shit, Gala is a bitch, whatever it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's never like, you know, you know, we're in the shit now or whatever. You know what I mean? Like where it would become part of dialogue. Uh, and if that's the case, we already have a storytelling device in comics to show that. And it's a string of characters. It's, yep, it's uh, like Hubert speak. Exactly. And that would work perfectly fine. I, I don't it, mm-hmm. I feel like I this seeing the curse just lessens the impact. It seems. This isn't this isn't a kids book either way, you know. Sure. I'm not saying we could take the curses out and, and I'd hand it to my uh, you know seven year old niece or something like that. <laughs> I uh, you know, but I, it just feels churlish, I guess is maybe the word yeah. I want to use if I want to sound like a real jerk <laughs> about it. But uh, yeah, but I think it, the it curses seems, might attract a certain audience. They might. <laughs> you really? But, but I wonder. You know what I mean? Uh, if the story is good, the story is good. That's a, you know what so, I mean. And and you could and she's still a badass. She still you know mm-hmm. takes takes things places Batman won't and whatever. And sure. her, her world is very different and a lot darker. And that's I'm, I wouldn't change anything there. No, it's, it's just that little bit of dialogue that seems like all right. You know you, you're you're a, a bad girl. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recently revisited the first issue of this, That's and right. uh, on, that was the on first your thing personal that personal blog, Chris is on yes. for the earth.com everyone. Indeed. <laughs> now that, that I found there that the one thing that jumped out at me was all the cursing. And yeah. uh, I said there, it's like, like when I was 13, I might think that was cool. You know, like, it's like, Ooh, I'm reading something mature. But as you know, a 30 something right now, it's like, I wouldn't want my wife to come across that and be like, Wow, this is what you read? Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, because she wouldn't pay attention to the story, not really caring about the characters. She'd be like, "Wow, they say the f word a lot." Just you know, and it's whatever, for no you know reason. I mean? uh, it's just you know what I mean. It's if it was a team of like if, if Violet Page was like thirteen, sure. yeah, I, they, it might make perfect sense because when I was thirteen, I I couldn't stop saying that. Every shit, other you word. Know what I mean? but, <laughs> uh, it's just it just doesn't uh, it, whatever. It's it really is a petty thing though. It's not destroying the book but it's funny it does kind of like lessen my attachment to it Absolutely. Uh, so what, what, what do you what's your score for this one i give this one a very solid eight out of ten i think i go the same way you know i think i could probably be maybe uh coerced even up to 8.5 reluctantly but i could definitely sure. give it an eight with uh conviction and mm-hmm. you know i i think this is this season and you don't need to read the the first season even though or whatever you want to call it the first volume uh, even though it probably would fill in a little bit of backstory, but they they do a good job of presenting the the full character here, and uh, really it's all about Fennec Fox, isn't it, Chris? That's what it we're is. Doing. She's the the sensational character find of whatever year <laughs> that we right. found her in. I think it was I think it was this year, maybe 2017, 2018. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> uh, yeah. So good good job to the creative mm-hmm. team here and to Gerard Way, who I'm sure had a lot to do with it. Oh, tons. Uh, next week we have another book. What is that one, Chris? 
that is the penultimate issue of Shade the Changing Woman. Yeah. And it's uh, it's worth noting that it shows and solicits as Shade the Changing Woman number five of six. Yep. So I guess we're uh, we're throwing, you know, the ongoing is gone. It's, it, we're in full miniseries. Oh, yeah. They're, own, they're owning up to it. And, and for that reason, you can look for the numbers on the fifth and sixth issues of these books to literally fall off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, I don't really, yep. we did do numbers recently. They weren't that great. They're no. going to be they're going to be numbers that are almost unbelievable that you may not have ever seen a, in comics yeah. before. We're going to need a magnifying glass. <laughs> really, you know, you're like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know they could print five issues, but okay, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's what they did. So, uh, yeah, but we'll we'll definitely be hitting that up, and we are coming very close to the conclusion of the Young Animal pop up imprint. But mm-hmm. uh, and when that when that wraps up, we'll probably do a post mortem on that too, and that'll. Oh, for sure. That will be that, but uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? I'll do it. Till next time, folks. I want you to keep it young and animalistic. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide.